when you understand the principle of stewardship, it just helps you to live life more thankfully. Um, and faithfulness doesn't seem like such a burden. It just seems like what you want to do. And fruitfulness is something that you seem to see more around you, that God is actually doing the things that we long for him to do in our world. And I hope that that's something that we all want to experience. I hope that when we think about what Jesus has done for us, that we've just celebrated in communion, uh, when we grasp the depth um, and as Paul says in Ephesians, and the height and the width and the breadth of God's love for us, that there will be this response, Lord, I just want to love you back and I want to live the kind of life that you want me to live. And uh, as we do that, there's a depth of joy that we experience that nothing in this world can really imitate. And that's what I want for us to experience as we go through our series in stewardship together. And there's one passage of scripture that really for me sums up very succinctly what the whole New Testament is about when it talks about, therefore, in light of what God's done for us, this is how we ought to live. And uh, that's in 1 Peter chapter 4. It's a, a lovely summary of what stewardship is all about. This is what it says. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Stewardship is all about managing God's blessings in God's ways for God's glory. And if we can just remember that in our lives as, as we learn to identify ourselves as stewards, it's all about managing God's blessings. They're not from us, they're from him. In God's ways, it's not up to me to decide, it's his will that counts. For God's glory, it's so that God might be seen and his goodness might be experienced in the lives of people. And that, as I said, makes us more thankful, more faithful, more fruitful. Uh, notice in, in verse 10 of the passage we just read, each person has been given gifts. Now, if you're ever inclined to look around at others and say, oh, gee, I wish I had Jamin's gifts. He's just so good when he gets up in front of those young people on a Friday night and the way he's able to explain things in the devotion and lead those games. Oh, man, I wish I had gifts like that. And, and again, you might go through person after person and think, oh, I wish I was more like that. And I know, I've got to be honest, sometimes I, I look at other people in ministry around the place, oh, man, if only I could lead as well as that guy. If only I could preach as well as that guy. If only I was as good as administration as that person. And you tend to compare what you don't have with what other people do have. Pay attention to what 1 Peter 4.10 says, everyone's received God's gifts in various forms. So tune into that. God has blessed you. And he's blessed you in ways that count. He's blessed you in ways that will overflow as you learn to see yourself as a steward into the lives of others and will bless other people's socks off. And you might look at yourself and say, oh, as if... Um, I know how it's looking for them. I don't think it's happening for me. Well, it's not up to you to decide. And you are never the best judge of the impact of your life. So get this stewardship principle. God has blessed you. He has poured his grace into your life in the ways that he knows are best for you and for the people whose lives he intends for you to touch. And so we want to tune in now to the ways that God is doing that in your life and in my life. We're going to trust that as we learn to see ourselves as stewards of this grace of God, that it will lead to, as that passage in Peter talks about, many people giving praise to God for all eternity. And we're going to start by thinking about the gift of time. 
How do you feel about time in your life? Do you ever think about it as being a gift from God to you, to, to use faithfully and fruitfully in his service? Back in uh, 2007, there was this international survey, and it lasted for five years, uh, and about 20,000 Christians from 139 different countries were asked to respond to a whole bunch of different statements about their spiritual life and their spiritual growth in particular. And one of the statements went like this. The busyness of my life gets in the way of developing my relationship with God. So people from around the world asked to say whether they disagree with that, don't identify with that at all, oh yeah, sometimes, or yeah, often, or always. Wouldn't that be tragic? I wonder how many people you reckon responded often or always. I wonder if you'd put yourself in that category as well. 60% of people did. 60% of Christians around the world who participated in the, sur- in the survey said the most important thing in life, which is our relationship with God, busyness gets in the way of me developing that relationship. And there was another statement which went like this, I rush from task to task. I don't know how you feel about that. I, I, I caught myself, uh, well, I've caught myself regularly. But, you know, so often people uh, say, how are you going? And you know what my response is? Keep them busy. How, how many of us are like that? Well, yeah, life is full of stuff, but to feel like you're just rushing from one thing to the next, that'd be terrible, wouldn't it? Half of people say, yeah, often or always, that's how I feel in life. I feel like I'm rushing from one thing to the next. We feel like we don't have enough time. And we feel like our lack of time is hindering growth in our relationship with God. So that's an issue that we have with time. We don't feel like we've got enough of it. And if that's how you're feeling, and if you're sometimes carrying the guilt because you feel like you're not doing what you ought to be doing because you don't have the time to do it, or if you're feeling the anxiety of, I don't know how I'm going to make all these pieces fit together, know that you're not alone. A lot of us are feeling that way. Um, And the Bible has some stuff to say about that. But there's another issue that we have with time, and that is that we just don't like a whole bunch of things that fill our time. So a student might say, and I don't know if you've ever heard in your household, uh, something Jamin would never hear from kids in his class, I don't want to go to school today. Any parent ever heard that? Anyone ever said it? It's like, we've got this, do you see the weather outside? It's brilliant. Why would you want to be inside? It's like, oh man, I, I just don't want to do what I'm supposed to do with the time that I have. Or you might be thinking about uh, your workplace and there's somebody there who just takes up time for you and is difficult and says, man, I wish I didn't have to use my time in dealing with that person. Or uh, like as you saw with Carolyn uh, on the crutches, you might have suffered an injury or be suffering from poor health and it's dominating what you can and can't do and you're just going, man, I wish I was just free to use the time the way I wanted to instead of having to try and get through with this thing that I'm facing. It's not that we don't have enough time, it's just that we don't like the times that we're experiencing. We don't like what's filling up our time and what uh, we feel we don't have much control over. So uh, recently I started watching Lord of the Rings again with my kids. Who's seen it? All right, they're the righteous people, the rest of you, get your act together, come on. Now, you don't have to watch it in all seriousness, but uh, it's a great metaphor for a lot of things that go on in life. One of my favourite scenes is in the first movie 
where you have this character whose name is Frodo. He's a hobbit who, uh, like most hobbits, uh, he wants to stay home. He's got a, uh, a house under the hill in this pleasant place called the Shire where everything's peaceful and well-managed and comfortable. And he just wants to see out his days in that comfortable environment. But he inherits a ring, a ring of great power. Um, and you might think, well, that's a great thing. And in fact, it's pretty cool because if you put it on, you turn invisible. It's awesome. But then he discovers that this ring was actually created by the Dark Lord Sauron. Uh, and Sauron is looking for it. And Frodo's life is now in great danger. Um, but uh, if he just gives it to them and says, well, you know, don't hurt me, you can have the ring, well, the whole world is going to be plunged into war and ruin. So that's not really an option either. And so Frodo's got a conundrum. It's like, I want to stay here in the Shire. I want to have peaceful, long, happy days, carefree. I want to smoke my pipe, which I don't identify with, and just, and just kick back and enjoy life. But he doesn't have a choice. And he remarks on that to Gandalf the wizard uh, and says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. And Gandalf very wisely replies, so do all who live to see such times. You're not alone, Frodo. And don't you identify with the stuff that sometimes life throws at you and it's just, man, I wish this had not happened. I wish this health crisis wasn't happening or whatever it might be. I wish I had times of rest instead of times of labour. I wish I had times of safety instead of times of danger. I wish that I was receiving encouragement instead of criticism. I wish I was enjoying friendship and not loneliness. I wish I had abundance instead of lack. I wish I had certainty about what to do instead of feeling doubt. And I could go on and on, but sometimes you feel like the times that you have are not the times that you want to have. It's not just that we don't have enough time, it's just we don't like the times that we're experiencing. But Gandalf goes on and he says, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. No, it's not the time that we're in, the time that is given to us. So we all have a choice to make, but get ready for the twist as Gandalf goes on. There are other forces at work in this world, Frodo, beside the will of evil. Bilbo, who was the man who found the ring, who uh, handed it on to Frodo, he was meant to find the ring, in which case you were also meant to have it. And that is an encouraging thought. See, in his great work of fantasy, J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote this, has embedded one of his Christian values into the story. He's, he's embedded a truth that underpins reality. God is sovereign. And sometimes as we go through time, we're seeing the effects of evil in our world. We're experiencing things that we wish we did not experience. And it's easy to forget that there is another force at work in this world, and it's a greater force. That, that God is doing something in time. And that can be a really encouraging thought. Even when life looks chaotic and we seem to be swept up in events beyond our control, even when the times that we are experiencing are at their darkest, God is still at work and he's weaving things together for his good and his glorious purposes. And we get to be a part of it. And that's what stewardship of time is all about. The Bible speaks to this right through. One of my favourites in the Old Testament is this one in Psalm 139, which is a great psalm. Go home and read all of it. It's fantastic. It tells us who we are and how we fit into God's plan. But in verse 16 it says this, Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned 
before a single one of them began. What would it be like for you, I don't know if you're in the habit of, of praying as you embark on each day, I hope so, it's a fantastic thing to do. Uh, as, as you pray at the beginning of a day and say, God, you know this day, you planned this day before I was even born, so help me to tune in to what your intentions for my day are. Just changes everything about how you encounter stuff during the day. When something happened that just seems out of left field and just knocks you for six, God, you knew about this. You've already written out my day in your book. So what was your plan to get me through this and to have this disaster not derail my life? What was your plan for me to be able to spot this and be thankful, not just because this happened, but because I know who was the one who made it happen? How does knowing that God plans our days change our experience of those days? In the New Testament, we have that additional element, not of just of the life that we've been given by being born physically, but what is it like to be born again? What's it like to be born into God's family as we have faith in Jesus? And this is what Paul describes in Ephesians 2.10. And again, go read the whole chapter later, because it's just been talking about the amazing grace of God in saving us. Nothing of ourselves, all of God's grace. And then he goes on to say this, For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Again, how does that affect your commencement of a day? Your talking to God at the beginning of a day to say, God, I know you've prepared things for me to do today. Help me to rely on you. Help me to be in tune with you. If it's true that God gives all of us enough time to do the good things he plans for us, why do we often feel too busy? And if God has planned our days... Why does he feel far away some days? And why does his goodness seem out of reach? And how can we turn that around so that we really feel like our time is a gift from God and that we're using it faithfully and fruitfully? See, those verses give us a clear indication of what our days should be like. But our reality of life says, you know, I'm not always really conscious of that and it doesn't seem to make a difference to me all the time. And we're not alone in that wrestling. King Solomon wrestled with these questions too. And that's where I want to spend uh, the bulk of our time together today. In the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, there's this long essay that Solomon is writing. And we're not going to kind of unpack every part of it. We're going to dive into Ecclesiastes 3 and read where he really focuses in on time and how we use time and how we experience time. And this is what it says in uh, the first few verses. There's an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. There's a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to, to avoid embracing. A time to search and a time to count as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Anyone else have a seeker's tune going through their head? As there's a few of us in that generation. Excellent. Uh, these 14 couplets, these 14 pairs of things, uh, each showing opposite activity. There's time to do this, but on the other hand, there's a time to do this. So what's it actually saying about how we live our lives and use the time that God has given us? Well, it's really interesting as it begins, it's, it uses the word activity, a time for every activity under heaven. But that word, and I didn't grasp this until this week, is actually really interesting. It's always used in the Old Testament scriptures of people people's activity and never of God's. 
It's used our, to describe our deliberate actions to achieve our purposes. And so, for example, if you look in Isaiah 58, God is rebuking the people of Israel for doing whatever they want to do on his Sabbath instead of doing what he's asked them to do on the Sabbath. And as a result, as you read Isaiah 58, make a note of it, have a read later, it's a great example of how we often live our lives. God says to do things in one way, but we've decided, you know what, I'm going to do them this way. This is what I want to do on that day. And, and the psalm just describes how terrible the day has become. Instead of a day of refreshment and regeneration and refocusing on God and his goodness and then going out and living that way for the rest of the week, the people are striking each other with wicked fists, they're being selfish, they're being greedy, they're being unjust. And so not only has that day been ruined, but everything about their life is suffering. Because the day that was meant to reset them and make sure that they were on the right path and that they were trusting God instead of trying to make life work for themselves and all that stuff, they've hijacked and said, no, we don't want to use the day for that, we want to use it for this. And everyone suffers as a result. And so Solomon uses that same word, this word that is only ever used of people, and saying, you know what, there's, there's time for us to do all kinds of things as we live this life. All these sorts of things. Throw stones, gather stones, be born, die, plant, uproot, uh, build, tear down, all that stuff. We could do so many different things, and all of us has the capacity to choose. What do I want to do? What is it that's going to fulfil my purposes in this? So a bit like Gandalf has just done with Frodo, Solomon is urging the people of Israel to give careful thought to what they do with the times that have been given to them, how they respond to the times that they find themselves in. And again, like Gandalf, Solomon urges the people of Israel to remember the sovereignty of God in the midst of those choices that they must make. And this is what he goes on to talk about in verse 9. What does the worker gain from his struggles? I've seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He's made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. Notice how Solomon points us to the futility of our labours. It's a bit like in Isaiah 58 where that word activity is used to, for people doing the opposite of what God wanted them to do on that day of the Sabbath. He, he's pointing us to whatever we set our hearts and minds to doing and saying, well, any choice we make is ultimately going to be futile anyway. Our work in this world is often a struggle. Um, and he's pointing us back to the original story in Genesis 1 and 2 because he doesn't just talk about humanity, he doesn't use the word people, he says children of Adam. Why is he pointing us back to the fact that everything that we do, no matter what choice we make, is probably going to end up to be futile anyway? Well, you remember, God put Adam on the earth and he gave Adam instructions. He said, this is what I want you to do with all of this stuff that I've made that is good this perfect home I've created for you. Adam listens to the temptation of Satan uh, along with his wife Eve and they decide, no, they want to know good and evil for themselves. They want to make their own choices. Instead of being stewards of what God gave them and managing it his way, they want to be free to make their own decisions and do it their way. And Solomon is just reminding the people of Israel that ever since that moment, as children of Adam, we've struggled with the futility of our choices. No matter what we do, it ends up often backfiring on us and, and we have no grasp of what we ought to be about. And God is far off because the relationship with him was broken by our sinfulness. But thankfully that's not the end of the story. Solomon knows that we were made for something better. 
um, and that we cannot achieve it ourselves. And he knows that all things that we pursue, whether good or bad, somehow God still fits them together and somehow God still uses them for his eternal purposes. That's what verse 10 and the first part of 11 is all about. So we're, we're occupying ourselves with all kinds of things and God does make things work together in his time according to his wisdom. And he knows that all people have a longing for what is eternal, but we are clueless about how to do anything about it. How can I affect eternity? How are the choices that I'm going to make today going to mean anything in a thousand years' time? That's what Solomon was really grappling with. And he was saying, you know what, none of us can figure that out. So what should we do? This was his advice. I know there's nothing better for them to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It's also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks and enjoys all his efforts. I know that everything God does will last forever. There's no adding to it or taking from it. God works so people will be in awe of him. For Solomon, it was just like, you know what, any choice that I make as a human being who is limited and fallible and sinful, well, it's probably not going to amount to anything in the end. So I might as well just trust God, enjoy whatever blessing he has, and just know that God's going to make it all work out in his time anyway. And we'll, we'll see it and go, wow, God is amazing. And Solomon is right on the money. That's as true today as it was 3,000 years ago. But it's not the only thing God's had to say on the issue. There's some truth that God was going to reveal nearly 1,000 years after Solomon that Solomon hadn't yet seen. Solomon said, no one can discover what God is doing from beginning to end. Even though our hearts long for eternity, we can't figure it out. So we're just going to have to trust, well, God knows what he's doing. And if I can have some fun along the way, then that's great. Otherwise, I'll just leave it in his hands. And that was true when Solomon wrote his essay. But now that Jesus has come, we actually have some stuff that Solomon didn't. Jesus is the full revelation. Everything we need to know about God and about what God is doing, eternity past to eternity future, it's all in Jesus. So the best we can hope for now is no longer just to enjoy what we can and trust God with the rest. We've actually been invited into what God is doing in the world through Jesus. We've seen how Jesus come and we celebrate it every week because it's so important. We've seen what Jesus has done to reconcile us to God, to mend the broken relationship and allow our lives to be lives of purpose for eternity. We've heard the invitation of Jesus when he gathered his followers together before he went back to heaven to say, now go make disciples of all nations. And so we know that we've got a job that has been given to us and a job that counts for eternity. So therefore, we know what we ought to be using our time for. And that's the focus of the New Testament. Before we skip to a passage that talks about that, I want to just remind you of the story of Frodo and the ring. There was absolutely no way Frodo should have been able to complete his mission of seeing that ring destroyed so Sauron couldn't get his hands on it. Um, this, this fairly weak, powerless person swept up in world events way beyond his control. He should never have been able to complete that mission. And the fact that he did see his mission through spoke volumes to his character. But it also spoke to the help he received from a hidden force. And if you know the story, you'll know that people just happened across his path at the right times and certain things happened that led to other things. And you go, somehow, this insignificant person changed the course of that fantasy world that he was a part of. And Solomon's kind of saying, well, that's kind of us too. Um, you know, we're, we're limited, we're fallible, we, we, we can't really do it on our own. But somehow, God's going to get us to achieve what he wants to do in his victory over evil. In Jesus... We know exactly what that is to look like and we know exactly where our help is going to come from. And so the question for us is this. 
Do I want to be a part of God's victory over evil? Do I want to be a part of God's big story of how he's going to bring evil to an end and bring into an age of goodness? Do I want to be a part of what he's doing in the lives of people around me to make sure they're a part of that forever? Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Colossae about their stewardship of time. Starts off with one of my favourite verses about prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders. Doing what? Making the most of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. This is the mystery that Solomon hadn't yet seen, that humanity wouldn't continue to be futilely just kind of going around while the planet rotates and just hoping for the best in whatever God ends up doing, that humanity is actually now invited to be a part of God's good work and be a part of the story of his victory over evil. It's the hunger for eternity that Solomon spoke about which has now been realised through Jesus. We know we can have our hunger for eternity satisfied in him. And we know that we can invite others into that as well. Verse 5 urges us to tell the story of God's eternal work in our actions. Verse 6 urges us to declare it with our words. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him won't perish but will have eternal life. And when you learn to rest in the sovereignty of God over time, when you see your time as a gift from God and you're asking God, okay, what is it that you want me to do with the time that, you've been, that I've been given? The answer is that. God's saying, I want you to rest in what I've done to save you. Stop making life work on your own. You can't do it. I've got it. Let me be in charge of your time. And let others know that they can be a part of my eternal story too. I'd love to hear different people's stories of how this stuff is making a difference in their lives. And I love the fact that you know, when we tune into the fact that our times are from God and that he's in charge of them, not only do we see that written in the words of the Bible, but we see it in the events of our lives as well. So last week I visited a church. I met a lady who I'd never met before. Um, and she, she told me how she'd um, reconnected with God after a long time of, of not being anywhere spiritually. Um, and as part of doing that, she'd reached out to connect with a church uh, and she was just so excited having reconnected with a church family at how that community was helping her to discover life in God. And you know that, that joy that just bubbles out of people when they're, they're, God is doing something in their heart and in their life and in their circumstances and they're just going, oh, there was so much stuff I didn't see before, but now I see that God is real and is involved in my life. That's brilliant. And she was so thankful for the fact that God was doing that stuff in her life in that moment. Um, how did she know to reach out to that church, that community of people who were so helpful in her journey over the last few months? How did that connection happen? Well, a little bit like Dan with a quiz night that was years ago. It was years ago. A lady using the time that God had given her to faithfully, week after week, run a play group. And a long period of time had elapsed, I think 10 plus years, not, not exactly sure, but later on when some stuff happened in that lady's life and she knew she wanted to reach out to somebody, how did she know that there was a community of people she could reach out with? Because somebody used the time that they'd been given to love others. And she knew that this is a place that there are people who can point her to God. Now that lady who ran that playgroup, she's not there anymore. She's moved on. But somebody else has been able to water the seed that that lady planted. That's what we are called to. 
to know, hey, we've got a God who is knitting everything together according to his good purposes. And when I choose to use my time to do what I feel he's calling me to do, somehow he's going to knit that with this person over here who in the same way is faithfully doing what God's called them to do. And when I use the gifts that God's given me and the way he's made me, well, that's going to complement the way that God's made this person and the gifts that he's given them. And when I feel like I'm saying stuff over here and it's just going over the top of people's heads or it's bouncing off hard hearts and I go, what's the point? Well, at the right time, that seed is going to take root and bear fruit. When we just use the time we've been given and trust God's going to do what he wants to with that, that's when we start to see things happen in God's perfect time. We've been given our time in this world to be a part of what God is doing to save people for eternity. Let's not neglect that. Let's see our time as God's gift to us. Let's trust that even in the harder sections of that journey, he's still doing his thing and his thing will matter for all eternity. We're going to close just by inviting you to think about four things this week as you go away and as you have discussions or as you write things in your own journal. And the four things that I just find really helpful when I think about time and how I'm using time. So I'll race through them really, really quickly. I'm not going to preach on each of these things. First of all, I'd love for you to think about what are my priorities? Um, we've been talking about that for the last half an hour or so. So, um, you know, when, when you begin to care about what God cares about, then the way you use time is going to be different. So take stock of that this week. See where your heart is at. Secondly, think about the patterns of your life. Um, I got to hear a story of somebody's faith in Jesus because the pattern of us, we get together, we worship God. And if we're on holidays, sometimes we'll do family church, sometimes we'll go and join other church families. And it's awesome. What are the patterns of your life that are putting you in the places that God wants you to be and allowing him to do what he wants to do in your life? I spoke earlier about just how great it is when you're in a habit of praying every morning, God, how do you want to use this day? What are healthy patterns for how you're using time in your life? But then on the other hand, what are the plans you're making? Um, you could be planning to go on a great holiday or you could be planning to use that two weeks to do a short-term mission trip. Is one better than the other? No, absolutely not. Don't feel bad for doing that. Don't feel bad for doing that. The question is, what did God want? Did you ask him? So whenever you're making plans, whether it's for what you're doing at work, what you're doing at home, what you're doing with your leisure time, what you're watching on TV, is God in charge of your plans or isn't he? There might be some time this week for you to think about the plans you're making and how much you're asking God to have his will in those. And then finally, think about the pauses that you make in your life. You know what? We don't want to be those people rushing from one thing to the next. Really hard to hear God's voice when that's your life. Take a step back in faith. Trust that God's got you. He can handle it if you take time off work or if you take time away from some people or whatever it is that is filling your life. Spend it with him. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. Take a pause. Let God speak to your heart. And the way that you use time will become a blessing. You'll stop feeling like you don't have enough. You'll stop feeling like you're a victim of the times you live in. And you'll start seeing God's sovereignty in all of those things. The decision of how you do that is yours. I'm going to pause just for a couple of minutes now um, while a bit of music plays and allow you to write down some stuff that you want to do and maybe all you need to do today is say, okay, I'm going to think about this stuff on Tuesday night, whatever it's going to look like so that you don't just go away and forget what God's been wanting to say to you through our time together. Before we do, I just want to give you the two options. Like my mate Bill Gates, just in terms of allocation of time resources, religion's not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on a Sunday morning. Hey... Don't slam Bill for that. We think that too sometimes. That's the way we are naturally wired. But King Solomon said it much better. I know that everything God does will last forever. 
There's no adding to it or taking from it. God works so people will be in awe of him. May that be the truth that guides us this week.